U.S. and China face last chance to avoid January 1st tariff hikes, but don't get your hopes up. In spite of a rocky year, Tesla shocks the world and places third on the free tech 25. Silicon Valley money and the network effect lead Convoy to number four. Battery and design woes continue to torment e-scooter startup Lime. And a major Thanksgiving snowstorm could delay truckers out west with flooding in some valleys. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we talk about all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. JP, what you drinking here, sir? I, uh, so our late Whoa. producer, late producer, ex-producer, uh, is probably better, <laughs> uh, Silent, yeah. Silent Barry Carpenter donated a Trim Tab IP, Gravitational Nectar IPA. Uh, they are out of, what, Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, I've had one of those. Um, They're not bad. A town near and dear to Barry's heart. So, you know, I'm proud so to... So for Barry's sake, we're going to say, yes, it's awesome. I haven't tried it yet. Um, and, you know, no no, no shade on, on Layla, our current producer, but it's cool. You know, Barry, you're out there somewhere listening silently. <laughs> well, with that endorsement... It's okay. Who needs friends? It's okay. Um... Even though you haven't asked. Um, uh, yeah, I, what, oh, whoa, Chad, Chad, what, no. what, what do you have? <laughs> um, well, it's from this. Uh, noise pollution is from the Southern Grist Brewing in uh, Nashville. And, oh, my gosh, shout out to Zach Strickland, the Sultan of Sonar, for hooking me up with this 7.5 ABV, 16-ounce, soft mouthfeel, I mean to say, hazy. Oh, man. I'm. This is delightful. No, it, it, noise pollution is, is what this podcast is going to turn into if we have too many of those. This is delightful. Well, I just have the one. Okay. Okay. So good times. Yep. Here we are. Um, a fun uh, series of headlines. Let's get into it. And big deals, little deals that we're uh, faced with, um, running uh, headlong into the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and uh, yeah, so well, let's let's tackle this. So um, we're uh, looking at the um, the U.S. and, and China, um, you know, heading in to January first. Right now, uh, it, you know, um, they are going to meet, uh, or they are meeting at the um, the G20 summit in Argentina. Why do they call it Argentina, JP? Interesting. You should ask me that because I happen to know the answer. <laughs> It's it's after the Latin word for silver, and it was named by the Spanish, who basically viewed the country as a giant source for silver mines. And they ended up taking so much silver out of South America that they crashed uh, the European economy for like 75 years. Well, I'm sorry that I asked you that, but um, that's impressive that you knew it. Um, it it's completely irrelevant to the story. Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, anyway, uh, so anyway, basically they're, they're they're talking about the tariffs on the uh, 250 billion dollars in Chinese goods and the um, 110 billion in reciprocal import duties China is imposing on the U.S. Right. Uh, what 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 else do we have going on? You know, in, in terms of thinking about it, just don't get your hopes up. It just seems like they're running out of time. You know, I think that uh, there have been reports coming out from a number of. Investment banks and different corporations have given guidance that basically we can kind of tell it's hurting China worse than it's hurting us. Uh, there's no reason for the Trump administration to get in a hurry. Um, Wait, it's hurt. You think it's hurting China worse than it's hurting us? Right. Really? Oh, by by far. But at the same time, 
that, see, I, and some and, and some some forecasters, I, th- I feel like, are saying that it's it, it may be hurting us more because um, China it, we're we're still importing. Actually, I think the last uh, the Q3 earnings reports estimate that between five we've I- imported between five to ten percent more than we had like previously. Like we're we're like it's con- we're continuing to import more while China is able to make other relationships and continue to like to export just as much as ever. Yeah, I mean, th- you know, that's that. I think that's one line of thinking. But if you just look at the like, Chinese equities markets in, um, you know, Hong Kong and Shanghai, it they they're way worse off than than uh, even the volatility we've seen in Dow Jones and S&P 500. Well, so why why does it seem then, according to the the committee's uh, trade bulletin, that the Chinese government continues to resist, um, like, like compromises? I think that they, you know, they have uh, supra-regional ambitions. Um, They, you know, want to save face. They are trying, you know, uh, their damnedest to partner with a lot of the countries that we sort of left in the lurch when we pulled out of TPP. So a lot of the uh, you know smaller Pacific economies, they're trying to move in, present themselves as the stable, predictable, you know what you're going to get sort of senior economic partner in a relationship. Um, so they're still, you know, it's I think it's a messaging effort. It's a propaganda effort. They're trying, you know, yeah, try that to con- con- you know save face and control the situation as best they can, but we, I mean, by any objective measure, like they're way more exposed to this than we are. Like, like, yeah. So I mean, that's, okay. that's the bottom line. Um, they're way more exposed, but we nobody expects a compromise to be reached. Um, and you know, while consumer confidence it continues to be at an all time high right now. Um, once we start seeing price increases as a result of well, and the, the and the thing you know, I've talked to Ibrahim yeah. Bayan about this mm-hmm. over lunch. You know, it's not the case that when you do a twenty five percent tariff on a good that's coming out of the country, that results in a twenty five percent not di- um, right. price increase, not directly proportional, because that would not that would render the product completely uncompetitive, and they would lose out. So, at different points in the supply chain, whether it's the manufacturers, absorbed. you know, the the freight forwarders, the transportation people, the different kind of additive, you know, assembly things and stuff like that, right. they all eat a different chunk of it. They, um, the, the last thing they the want to do is are, try to pass it directly on because everyone would be like, well, this widget still costs a dollar. Net yours costs one twenty five. Like, buy. Like, they, they can't have that happen. So it, it's it's not just about the price increase. It it puts pressure on all, all, the entire supply part of the supply chain that's in China. In, in China. Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, at some point, though, it, it is, I think, reasonable to think that prices will go up mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, and, and regardless of how it translates, that we will see, I think, everybody industry-wide anticipates um, a softening in uh, a softening in the economy at the beginning of 2019 as a result of, um, well, at least in large part due to the tariffs. But n- not everybody necessarily sees that lasting. Nobody can predict it completely, right, of course. Right, I mean, the economy is still growing. Interest know, well. rates have a big impact. Interest rates are going up, which you know kind of scares people. 
the the year you know the yields on twos and tens is getting flat, which freaks people out. But I mean, I, I you know I, I let me get this straight. Like I still think that tariffs are kind of dumb, but I'm just trying to explain like why I don't think that they are going to resolve this in Argentina, the land of silver before January 1st. <laughs> I don't either, but uh, anyway, there is the, um, you know, hope springs eternal. <laughs> and uh, there is that slight possibility. Um, uh, you know, we continue to cover the um, the, the freight, uh, freight.tech25 uh, winners. Yeah, right? yeah, we're doing these little profiles on each of the companies um, in the Freight.tech25, kind of in order, you know, and that's basically, we had a panel of 60 independent industry experts, whether they're on sort of the, the financial side, the operational side, media people, consultants, you know, all of that, voting on and ranking their top 25 most innovative companies in transport and logistics. And so we covered the first couple, and now we are down to number three, Tesla. Right. And yeah, and the FreightWaves Research Institute was created to recognize the, uh, the most innovative and disruptive companies in freight and logistics. Um, and as you've pointed out before, it was uh, you were a part of this. Um, they uh, there was an original list of over 500 nominations, um, and then the institute narrowed it down to the Freight Tech 100, and then winnowed that down even further yeah, to the, Freight the independent Tech 25. voters. Yeah, the independent voters yeah. created the 25. Right, and and, uh, yeah. and these top 25 are the ones we're covering, and um, we're honored to. Uh, uh, you know, like release some of these um, today um, or this week, we've covered numbers three and four, right? Right, and so for um, I wrote about number three, which is the colorful and controversial Tesla, of which you have prided yourself on being a bear. Yeah, on yeah, Tesla. Yes, yes, you have. In, but but in spite of um, the continued bashing that we have given Tesla, now we are um, called on to praise them because. Um, well, you know, while there are many good reasons to criticize many of the operational decisions and business dealings, um, not to mention their general inaccessibility, they didn't they didn't respond to any um, comments for this article. But uh, yeah, but it's if you, probably my fault. <laughs> it might have shaded them a little. Bit. Yeah, no, but I mean, no, if, you know. Um, but if you were to evaluate, them, I would never say that they they weren't uh, innovative. Yes, you know, they and, and they innovation and they occupy the bleeding edge yeah. of electrification and transportation. Globally speaking, they have built the best electric cars in the world. They are pulling the rest of the American automotive industry right. with them. Yep, you people know, are following, burning, them. you know, burning cash as they go. But I mean, that's what that's what the bleeding edge is. You're you're bleeding. Um, yeah, you know, feel good. The reason I think why they're on this list is probably because of one, their autonomous technology, and two, the electric semi that they've been promising. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's we can easily get them confused. People, people think um, Tesla, and they think Hyperloop, and they think SpaceX. Um, they think um, you know, Solar City the and batteries. Company and well, it, but actually, the um, the uh, you know, the, the the reason that we do conflate them together is they were all founded by Elon Musk, and he has a shared vision 
for Tesla as he does with like the solar company and the boring company and SpaceX. So, I mean, in terms of innovation, um, they're playing in the big leagues. Um, this isn't evaluated on yeah, and they, business models. You know, and they, you know, honestly, you know, the third quarter results they posted, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. Um, what net earnings of, what was it, like 280 ish? I don't remember M- the million dollars. Um, I just remember it was finally positive and probably their best one to date. Yeah, their third profitable quarter in 15 years. And, but uh, their overall best one. Yeah. Like, oh, as, yeah, as you yes. had said. Like, yeah. You, you know, they're, um, they're making a lot more cars, you know, hundreds of thousands of cars a year, um, selling a lot of cars. Uh, consumer demand remains very strong for the Model 3, even the uh, higher spec, more expensive Model 3s. They haven't even gotten down to manufacturing the, the $35,000 model yet. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot to be positive about. I think even even SpaceX had a great year. They just matched they? they matched their own record with uh, 18 launches this year. So, if they if they can pull off if they can pull off great. another one, um, that'll be a record it's year for them too. It's aspirational. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think to finish um, uh, on this thought, um, as you wrote on October 25th, um, if Tesla can keep generating cash um, such as they're they're doing. Um, let's see, you, uh, you free know, cash flow. The uh, the company's current debt load starts to look manageable, and you know, and and you wrote in our view, Q3 2018 was Tesla's. We just said that their best quarter. And the company managed to build cars at scale, control costs, and achieve meaningful profits. Um, and, yeah, you know, they so, ended up they ended up you know laying off nine percent of their workforce and turning a profit. I mean, th- these things happen. It's interesting. Tell I mean, us about like you know you today I think released an article on um, the network effect Silicon right. you, Silicon Valley money and the network effect and leading to convoy being our number four of the Freight.Tech. Tell us about them. Yeah, um, it was really cool, actually, to meet uh, the CTO, Grant Goodall, um, at Market Waves in Dallas this past week and hang out with him at the bar. Um, he's a really nice dude, and you know we love the company and the technology. But basically, what I was, I was trying to do is tell their story. And they started with a really simple premise that's actually a, an equation that came out of uh, telecommunications theory, and it's basically it's called Metcalfe's law, and it basically hmm. says that a network effect or the power of a network is proportional to the square of the connected users. And essentially, what that means is that wow. as you grow a network, in this case, loads and trucks, as you grow a network, um, matching loads doesn't become linearly more easy. Mm-hmm. It becomes exponentially more easy. Oh, instead and, of like additive, it's like synergistic. Yeah, and 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 as a consequence of that, a brokerage, a digital brokerage with a larger network than you know its competitor has an exponential advantage over it, not a linear advantage over it in matching loads. So they started. You with, heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. And the, I actually learned about this talking to one of their investors, Andrew Davis, who's a VP at T. Rowe Price, who participated in their Series C. And it was interesting because that was the Series C, the $186 million that they raised that brought them to a unicorn valuation. That was really the first time that traditional Wall Street investors and asset managers, as opposed to Silicon Valley VCs, had gotten involved and sort of bought into the story. And so our conversation was like, what changed about your all's thesis on Convoy? Like, you've known, you've known about them for two years. Why are you just now getting in? 
And he really said that, you know, matching loads is a math problem governed by Metcalf's law. Uh, I quickly Googled Metcalf's law. Um, <laughs> and then, like, and then he was saying, but, you know, they've really shown how much they can learn about freight. I mean, when you think about it, this is a, a startup that was founded three years ago in Seattle by people, two people who came from Amazon. You know, before that, they had some experience running other kinds of software startups and working at you know, Google and Microsoft and stuff like that. But like maybe not ironic that Amazon was our number one freight.tech winner. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's it's not surprising. Um, but they didn't. How much did they actually know about the business of trucking? Well, it seems like, you know, they started with an equation, but they realized how do you, you know? It, it, so network effect is proportional to the square of connected users. How do you keep the users connected? How do you engage the carriers and make them want to use your app instead of other people's? Yeah. And so they Achieving started. critical mass is like the main so, thing for tech companies. Exactly. And key and, and the stickiness of the app, keeping people on the app, right, as yeah. opposed to someone else's app. Um, you know, what's what's your economic moat? And so this year they actually rolled out three really interesting products that I think have made a critical difference for them. One of them was automated detention pay. I remember that. So if a, if, so a, if a truck gets stuck at a, at a DC or a dock um, and hits that two-hour mark, you know, blah, 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 the, you know, the, the driver's getting, you know, stressed out. Uh, he or she has to be somewhere. You know, they end up leaving and essentially trying to negotiate accessorial and detention pay after the fact. And well, I remember, if I may, like they, they released this early in the year when as the capacity crunch was really hitting us in the industry and it was like, whoa, shippers need to get on board. They're delaying, you know, everybody. At this state in the in, right. in the year, like it's really been absorbed by the industry and shippers have kind of gotten on, on, on board. But at the time, this was a differentiator. Yeah, and it's still a, a really big pain point. But, but here's yeah. the interesting part. Con uh, Convoy said we guarantee automatic detention pay on the loads that you booked through the app. So don't call our traditional brokers. Go through the app. So they Convoy knows that their cost to cover a load is so much lower in the app versus their normal like brokerage on the phone that they can guarantee detention pay. Even if they don't recover it from the shipper, ultimately, yeah. it's still cheaper what for them. What a cool thing. So that was one thing they did. The other thing they did was they created the, their power-only program, which is a great trailer pool. So the owner-operators and small fleets that don't have a ton of trailers you know, placed strategically all throughout the country, they can get, like, drop-and-hook freight. So they don't they can avoid detention entirely. You know, you know, they bring it in. They, like, go. They're out. They pick up. You know, you know so it, that, that uh, kind of basically streamlines the owner-operator um, sort of way that they run their trucks in the same way that large large carriers try to do. And the final one was um, actually something for shippers, which is pretty interesting. It was the dynamic backup, which is basically like it places an instant, instantly bookable real-time market rate quote in a shipper's routing guide. So, at, you know, when, when capacity's tight, you're getting all these tender rejections that we talk about all the time. You know, you're, you're like, right. okay, should I put this on the spot market? Should I pay a broker? Who knows how much money he's going to make off of me, blah, blah, blah. Convoy gives you an instantly bookable rate um, that is based on real-time market data that they guarantee capacity for you click that, you pay yeah. for it. They take care of everything else. Boom, it's done. Guaranteed capacity. And so, so I, you know, the, basically the story is that you start off with, with um, some software people who are really smart and an equation, 
and the sen you're looking at the problem as a math problem. And then you start building on these really unique cutting edge product offerings to keep people engaged, to keep your network growing and to keep that that Metcalf's law kind of in place. And it's all about the innovation. So man, a fascinating company. And those are the uh, the third and fourth winners of a lot of great companies. Another interesting thing that happens in the uh, the, uh, the the e-scooter startup space with Lime. Ooh, uh, boy, buddy. do they have a lot of issues. And it's like, a, it's like such a controversial subject. It's like so fun to have scooters in your city, helping you be a smart city. But boy, do they have a lot of, a lot of uh, issues to figure out. We are visited right now with a guest, an in-house guest, Casey Larkin, visiting us. Uh, yeah, Casey, I, tell us a little bit about your experience using an e-scooter. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You know, really glad to be on here. Uh, thanks for the invite. Um, you know, I have a little bit of experience with these e-scooters myself, spending some time in Dallas. Um, you know, some of the problems that they have is that, you know, these scooters are littered all over the sidewalk, right? There's no, no bay or... Uh, Right, which is station. part of the fun, though, right? You can just, like, drop it off anywhere. Sounds good yeah, to me. Exactly, right? You know, here is a 24-year-old kid just uh, a couple years removed from college. You know, I, I'm all for that. You know, it's, it's, right. it's a great time, really easy way to get around the city uh, with, a, <laughs> with a couple of buddies. Um, you know, but on the opposite side... Um, Was know, it fun? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, these things are pretty quick. You can get going, you know, 20, 25 miles an hour. Can you go really that fast on them? Were you wearing Absolutely. a helmet, Casey? I'm worried. Uh, no, or were you wearing your baseball helmet. cap backwards? Uh, <laughs> cap backwards, uh, per usual check. Aerodynamic. Exactly. Um, you know, re really a lot of fun. Well, what's your overall sense, just from a consumer point of view, like, like what are the cool things about it? But what do you feel like maybe are some... Anything like what do you? What, are there any cri cri criticisms you might have as well? Um, you know, obviously, like I, like I said, it's, it's it's a lot of fun to ride these things. Okay. Um, you know, my parents would never let me get an electric scooter growing up, and uh, <laughs> you know, so this is revenge for, for safety concern. But uh, was it know. was it cheap? Was it was it not not very? I mean, or what? What was the price point? Was that uh, a pain point or? It was not. A, it was not a pain point. It was more of a safety point. Uh, you know, my mother. Oh, I meant no, no, the no. price of the, 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 the... Was it a bird or a lime scooter that you hopped on? I was on a bird scooter. Okay. How much did it cost? It's it's a dollar or two, from what from what I remember. Wow. Um, you know, okay, so the price was not a pain point. You know, affordable compared to, you know, Uber or Lyft or any of the other... And do you ride these options. on the sidewalk or the street? See, that's the big problem for me, right, is, you know, a lot of people are riding these things on the sidewalks, coming around some sharp turns, going very quickly. and yeah. Um, you know, that could, that could definitely be dangerous. There's all kinds of abuses, it seems, that could be, like, it's like the Wild West with these things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so they're fun right now, but there's, I mean, I, I'm hearing that there's all kinds of accidents happening, um, that people on these scooters um, are not, um, they're, they're not wearing, <laughs> I sound so parental or something, they're not wearing helmets, <laughs> but, um, but they're also just not looking when they're crossing the crosswalks. I, I've, I've, I witnessed this um, when I was in Atlanta, just guys just like just cruising through intersections, not even looking to the right or left. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm trying to think of like how I would use this, and it seems like, I would be using it like as an alternative to like an Uber if I'm like going. And so when do I use Uber when I'm going out, you know, mm -hmm. out in the city, you know, partying or whatever, 
Like, and so you're you're putting all these people, you know, instead of having a like a, a sober Uber driver and a drunk passenger, you're saying, hey, you drunk kid who thinks it's a great idea to like rent you know an e-scooter something that you've never driven before in your life Mm -hmm. go go for it we're only there's only going to be a couple dollars in between you and you know (laughs) exactly yeah um well did you have to um did they verify that you were 18 you know i I can't remember um (laughs) I i downloaded the app and you know and hopped on have you have you heard of people like like Riding their scooter drunk or anything crazy like absolutely, that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen that fairly frequently. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, you know, my parents live in, in uptown Dallas, right there on McKinney Avenue, where all the bars and restaurants are. And um, you know, pretty much any time of day, you can see somebody out there kind of making hot dogging, weaving between <laughs> the lines <laughs> on these scooters. Well, I've also heard from um, our um, one of our uh, data scientists, um, Ken Smith. Um, that, uh, you know, uh, like he's like, he's like, these things are really being, uh, abused. Um, and he is strongly against them. Uh, and he is, uh, he, he's saying that even the, um, like that, like fire, fire departments are having a lot more calls as a result of, I don't know why they would be some kind of emergencies happening with them, but also that like the batteries catching on fire. Are the, is that happening? I mean, I, I know that they're failing for the Lime scooters. They've had a big. That was part of the article here. Is that they're failing? They had a public spat with their battery company, um, and the battery company was saying um, that you know um, no, it's how you guys are managing them um, that they're failing. It's it's your problem. But um, but also I, I've I've heard that like police officers like people hop on these things and police officers can't catch them. You know, so like, like you almost have to have like well, a dedicated like, p- police force. To, so I mean, it sounds so awesome. I want to hop on one. I want one. May I just hop on? And I love the idea of them not being like there's some like place you have to put them. But eventually, I would think that that's going to have to happen. But I don't know. What do you What do you think, Casey? Um, you know, yeah, I think that that's definitely you know a huge problem. I think there've been. Can't remember specifically, but like there's a big clash action lawsuit out in California. Oh, is there? Um, I mean, potentially San Francisco. I can't remember the city specifically, but yeah, you know, people think that it's it's a massive safety hazard with them being left all over the, the sidewalk, and um, you know, people in the ER seeing more people hitting cars and getting there as a result of riding these scooters. Well, let the good times roll, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> it's the wild west of the uh, the uh, the startup. Um, I wouldn't call it the uh, last e- e- e-commerce mile, but the e-scooter um, startup mile. Um, but uh, thanks for visiting with us and for your input on that story. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, so our last story, uh, last headline story of the day is about, you know, a major uh, snowstorm um, hitting over, uh, this Thanksgiving weekend sort of in the Sierra Nevadas. So, like, think um, Donner Pass on I-80. Uh, Donner Pass. And this is a story by Nick Austin, our, um, you know, senior meteorologist. Who, what could go wrong at Donner Pass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um yeah, so basically a lot of snow, um, you know, wind. It's just it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a major accumulation of what like six to fifteen inches is, is what he was calling for. 
Yeah, and uh, and flooding in some valleys. Right, if that melts and, and that, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's it's this weird sort of like Eastern California, Western Nevada, you know, very mountainous. You know, it's the Sierra Nevada. They're, um, they're no stranger to heavy snowfall. Right, um, and this is really, the, the story here is this is the first one. You know, so, you know, and carry it's Thanksgiving, chains. and they could be seen three to four uh, feet um, on the mountaintops. So um, that's a lot, you know. 12, 12 inches or more uh, above 8,000 feet. Yeah, and... Um, I, uh, and they haven't had any pre- precipitation for the past 45 days. Wow. Um, so Nick Austin said that the majority of this snow will fall uh, between uh, Wednesday afternoon through Thanksgiving morning. So uh, so watch out for those areas, um, th- th- those areas there. Um, and in fact, everybody, um, travel safely um, this Thanksgiving uh, weekend, you know, we like to celebrate uh, the beer drinking, um, but we, you know, want to do it, um, you know, in the confines of our own studio uh, or our own homes. So, so be safe out there. All right, America. Thanks for. And, <laughs> okay, maybe all of America is not listening, but um, to our listeners. Um, JP, JP, what? Are you biting your lips? Sorry, you sorry. That, that, was, that, was, that was good. Um, that, was, that was really heartfelt. Uh, well, thank you. Um, and I am, I am grateful for you, and I'm grateful for— Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thankful for With a Truck. Yeah. And this, this little Nerf me, football that just... says Freight Waves on it. Yeah. Um, thankful for— I'm thankful what, for Layla. And Casey. And Casey and uh, all of our producers— um, here at What the and Truck. F- friends of the podcast. Uh, yes, and so, and thank you to you all. And please um, don't hesitate to give us feedback on um, how we're doing. But in the meantime... Big deal or little deal? What's the deal with you, Dill Pickle? Let's um, do it. Okay, uh, JP. You think we can do this in two minutes? Yes, we can if I'll quit talking. All right, so uh, here we go. Electric, hydrogen, and modal shifts among pathways to a net zero carbon environment for transportation. <laughs> big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. As um, electricity generation becomes more green, transportation is one of the biggest carbon emitters. So it's it's the next uh, shoe to fall. FedEx Freight to operate last mile pilots in five markets during the first half of, of 2019. Big deal or little deal? Um, I think it's a it's a big deal. Um, it's you know part of a play I think to take a little bit more market share from UPS. It's interesting to see that they're, how their LTL business is kind of faltering. Postal workers in Canada reject Canada's posts call for a cooling down period. Big deal or little deal? Um, I think it's a little deal. I don't think they're going to go on strike. Panama spread widens in last week for pre-tariff China East Coast sailings. Big deal or little deal? It's a little deal. Um, I think that uh, we're nearing the peak for China to East Coast spa rates, which will come come down going into December as the West Coast remains the only option. Jet fuel surcharge is adding to air shippers' holiday costs. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. The cost of jet fuel burn is burning a hole in the pockets of Air Express shippers, and that means rising consumer costs. Deutsche Post DHL Group announces 21 million venture raise for supply risk company Resilience 360. Big deal or little deal? Easy for you to say. Uh, big deal. They've got the customers, the data points, and now a huge runway to expand its mission for visibility and transparency. FedEx orders 1,000 Shange electric vans from Ryder. Big deal or little deal? 
little deal. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. It's a lot of vans for Ryder. Uh, one step at a time. Albertsons ignores the noise and orders 10 Tesla semi-trucks. Big deal or little deal? I'm going to say little deal. It's a small order for Tesla trucks, um, and th- th- that's it. It's, it's little deal. Albertsons, listen to the noise. Oh, We my. just did it. Whoa, by a t- well, yeah, a one one fifty nine point nine. Wow. wow, we're getting good. Layla's we're, got quite the stopwatch too. That was whew, that's, that was, that was intense. Job. I'm I'm literally shaking. Are you okay? <laughs> okay. This is a figure of speech. So JP, it is great to be here at Market Waves eighteen, just conducting these five good minutes episodes. What do you think? Where's the bells too hearted? <laughs> yeah, right no, it's now. Cool. It's cool. We're I'm kind of I'm, taking one for the team. Yeah, here, I'm, in this, I'm in this weird, weird uh, headspace right now. I think the the Mountain Dew is starting uh, to get to me a little bit, all the sugar. But I'm super glad to be here with Marissa Ash, who works in strategy and business development at Transfix, the uh, startup brokerage based in New York City. Marissa, thanks for coming. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. The conference has been super exciting, and I'm happy to talk to you guys. Yeah, great to have you on board. Um, are you ready to play Five Good Minutes? Yeah, let's, dun, let's dun. do it. And, you know, there is a prize for you if you run the gauntlet of our questions in under five minutes. Okay. Should, would you like to know what those are? Yeah. It could either be a Freight Waves backpack or a Michael Lewis Fifth Risk book. His brand new book. Those are two good options. I know, right? So we'll, you know, look one thing at a time. Kind of depends on if the, the backpack suits your style or not, right? That's, yeah. That's kind of what it it's comes a down serious to. backpack, though. Lots <laughs> one, of zippers. I know. There's so many zippers. Yeah. Anyway. And so little time. All right. Let's um, let's do this. Okay. Ready or not, here we go. So Transfix has a really interesting mix of brokers on the floor and technology people. Can you tell us a little bit about what um, shaped the company in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Transfix has a super compelling founding story. And uh, talking to Drew and Jonathan, who are co-founders, was one of the big reasons I decided to join. So Drew uh, literally grew up in a freight brokerage. His parents owned one. He started booking loads, I think, as young as 12. Wow. After, <laughs> after wow, college, awesome. uh, he joined He's the family. Yes, uh, Drew, Drew is definitely a, a, a truck prodigy. Um, after college, he joined uh, the family business and then eventually ran on to run it. And I think it was that experience that really opened his eyes to all the inefficiencies in the market. And he had this really compelling feeling that something could be done better. Uh, he teamed up with Jonathan Salama, who is our CTO and just a really tremendous technologist. And together, kind of Transfix was born. And they, um, I think, have this amazing ability to both deeply understand the problems that plague drivers, that plague uh, dispatchers, shippers, and able to build products to solve those specific problems. Right. Well, um, and apparently you just graduated from uh, a Stanford Business School, and uh, and, and you kind of made a, a career um, pivot. Can you tell us about like what led to your decision? Yeah. So, you know, before school, I was working at a hedge fund, uh, went to business school um, with the goal of really understanding what are other opportunities in the world, what are problems that people are solving. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to do afterwards, I knew I wanted to move to New York, wanted to work for a growth-based startup that was solving real-world problems. When I came across Transfix, 
it was honestly the first time that I had ever really thought about trucking or logistics. I'd never met a truck driver. hadn't really considered what the problems were. And right. I did research and talked to um, uh, talked to employees. I kind of learned it is kind of a textbook place that you want to have, have a startup. It is a huge market that is highly fragmented yeah. that has not been disrupted by technology. And that's kind of the exact place that startups can make huge impact. And so for me, I was super motivated to solve problems that was in effect drivers from day one, create massive efficiencies. And I really believed in the founding team. Wow. That's fantastic. That's great. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what you do at Transfix? So I started a couple of months ago and have been focused on kind of our sales and marketing efforts. Uh, Transfix, uh, Drew and Jonathan have done a really wonderful job kind of building out the products, but the story of Transfix hasn't really been told to the world. And so mm -hmm. one of the big projects that I was tasked with was kind of figure out how do we get the Transfix story out there? How do we share all the impact that we're having? We're going to 3x our revenue um, for 2018 versus 2017. We are growing kind of month over month, quarter over quarter with our biggest customers, and I think are on track to make a huge impact in the industry. And so that has been kind of one of my big focuses, as well as uh, thinking about our sales strategy and how do we kind of grow on both the demand and the supply side. I see. So, well, what are some of your uh, takeaways from being here at Market Waves and learning about the, the, the tech revolution that is happening in the industry now? I think it's been really exciting and motivating to see how many people are focused on solving the inefficiencies that we're also trying to focus on. I think another big reflection is just how fragmented the industry is at every level, um, vertically, horizontally, and it's exciting to figure out who are the people we're going to be able to partner with to make big change. Right. That's interesting. What kinds of uh, technologies are you guys looking at sort of right now? So we kind of think of uh, our technology in, in three main buckets. The first is um, what we provide to our shippers. So how do we enable them to tender and manage their freight easier to our uh, carriers and drivers? How do they find the right load at the right price um, at the right time? And then internally, I think our, the tools that we've built out have, are the most impressive. So we've created massive efficiency in terms of how many people and minutes we're spending booking every single load. And then most interesting is our pricing technology. We've developed a proprietary algorithm that is able to produce instantaneous prices on thousands Whoa. of loads. And we have so much confidence in those prices that we guarantee them. So as soon as we quote them, um, we promise that. And even if that means we take a loss, we take a loss. But we are that confident that we're, our, our technology is that good. Fascinating. And you did it. Yes. yes. Right. Four minutes <laughs> oh, and she 45 wins the seconds. Prize. Um, but that is great to it's great to learn about Transfix. They weren't on my radar screen. Yeah, um, no, it's it's, good. it's great to meet you too. A very interesting um, blend of, of of tech and operations. So um, we're glad yeah, to be great here. To have you. Um, so, are you choosing the backpack or the uh, or the book? You no, know, I might go with the book. Hearing uh, okay. the keynote was fascinating. I can't wait to, to oh, learn cool. more. Yeah, have you ever read? Um, Michael Wilson's books before? I've read Moneyball, but um, yeah. and so I'm excited for this one. <clears throat> that's a good one from a data point of view, right? Absolutely. All and right. Transfix loves data, so. Uh, that's right. Uh, the other one that you might like to, uh, Liar's Poker, his first book. Which is about, oh, yeah. It's about uh, bond trading at Salmon Brothers in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is, I will put that on my list. Yeah, if you kind of want to get a little nerdy like JP. It's his first book. Yeah. Sometimes your first book is like where you really like, you yeah, know, put the effort into every sentence. And... I see. All right. 
Well, great to meet you, Marissa. Thanks for being on What the Truck. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What the Truck. Truck.